0: so god in his grace listens to our prayers every word but god also speaks to us clearly in his word so with that in mind let's now turn in our bibles and god's word to john chapter 17 verses 20 through 26 our passage this morning comes at the end of the high priestly prayer of jesus we've been slowly working our way through it the last few weeks and Throughout this prayer, uh, Jesus has been praying for his disciples, but in the section we will read today, we see that he's not only praying for his 12 disciples, but praying for all of his disciples that would follow him in the future, which includes us. So with those promises in mind, uh, please follow along with me as I read. We're in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. This is Jesus praying. I do not ask for these only, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Can you take the microphone? Thank you, Matt. Well, we've been going through this passage, John 17. This is our third week in it. And because it breaks down into different sections, this is Jesus praying for his disciples and then it shifts today to praying for us. And so we finish this passage this morning but focusing on unity. Many people working together for a common purpose. Many people working together for a common purpose. That was the the phrase that came to mind. It's not original to me. As I read this article this week about the pyramids of Giza. These are are the iconic images you've probably seen when they talk about Egyptian pyramids and you see the several pyramids. Maybe you see the Sphinx as well. But these pyramids of Giza uh, are over 4,500 years old. And they were built, they believe, back in about 2,500 B.C., And as I was coming across this article, finding this detail, I I read this. Egypt's pharaohs expected to become gods in the afterlife. To prepare for the next world, they erected temples to the gods and massive pyramid tombs for themselves, filled with all the things each ruler would need to guide and sustain himself in the next world. Pharaoh Khufu began the first Giza pyramid project around 2550 B.C., his Great Pyramid is the largest in Giza and towers some 481 feet high. It's estimated 2.3 million stone blocks, each weigh an average of anywhere between 2.5 and. 50. At Giza were so impressive that even today scientists can't be sure how the pyramids were built. Yet they have learned much about the people who built them, and the political power necessary to make it happen. The builders were skilled, well fed Egyptian workers who lived in a nearby temporary city. Archaeological digs on the site have revealed a highly organized community, rich with resources, that must have been backed by strong central authority. It's likely that communities across Egypt contributed workers, as well as food and other essentials, for what became, in some ways, a national project to display the wealth and control. Of the ancient pharaohs. Many people working together for a common purpose. Now, it's interesting to read a story like this, and when we think about unity, it's kind of easy to appreciate the unity that needed to take place, the, how everyone needed to work together to build these kind of pyramids, to figure out how to get those blocks up there that weighed several tons and they didn't have cranes like we do today. And when it comes to unity in the church, I'm sure all kinds of things pop into your mind. Maybe you have hurts from the past where you tried to fit in. You never really felt united. Maybe you have some ideas, maybe misconceptions that, well, I didn't really click, really didn't get along because those people just aren't like me. I think sometimes we mistake unity for uniformity. And we think that well, they don't have the same interests as me. They don't have the same likes, dislikes, and so we're not that interested in getting to know them. And so we don't necessarily value one another as we should. Sometimes maybe we just have some fears, some hurts. But whatever you're at, Jesus points us this morning to what unity is. He points us to what unity is in verses 20 through 26. And so... What is it, though, that he wants us to know? What is it that Jesus wants his people to get? As he's praying for them, he's now praying for them, for you and I, to be united. But what is it that he wants us to get about unity? Well, Jesus prays for us to be united with one another, but he does something interesting. He points you and I to the focal point, which is his relationship between Father and Son. As he prays about unity, he's saying, Pay attention. Pay attention to the relationship that exists between the Father and the Son, because that is going to be the key in understanding that unity, what it means to be unified as we go through this. And so, as we go through this passage, I want us to think about this question. Let's think about this question together. What does it look like to have unity with one another based on the relationship that exists, but to have unity with one another that is based on the relationship between Father and Son? You'll see the first thing in your outline on the back of the bulletin, in the center back panel, you'll see unity upon the word, unity upon the word. In verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So in this passage, verse 20, there's a shift that's taking place. A shift in this praying for his disciples to now praying for you and I. He was praying for them before, but now he's specifically praying for you and I. And there's this shift that's taking place in this passage. And he's praying for those who will believe in Jesus through their word. And there's so much here. Unity is based on the word. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus had spent time with his disciples. He had given them his word. And actually, back in John 16, he said, there's, there's much I want to say to you that you can't bear right now. But when the helper comes, that is, he was referring to the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak to you my words. And so what happened through time was that not only did they hear Jesus actually speak words to him, but then through the Holy Spirit, revealing God's word to these disciples, they wrote it down. And what we have in our New Testament is that revelation, that revelation of God's word. You see, in that simple statement in verse 20, so much is being presupposed. It's presuming that the words I spoke to you guys, you're gonna tell others. And because you tell others, guess what? They're gonna come to believe in me, Jesus, that I am who I said I am, that I'm the one, the savior of sinners. And that cannot be at the sacrifice of doctrine, cannot be at the sacrifice of, of belief, of truth. I remember back when I was in Arizona, I pastored in Arizona before coming here. I remember one day sitting in my office and we had like, where our offices were, we, had, we were on the outside of the building. So it was glass basically. And I remember one day seeing Jehovah's witnesses walk up to our front door. And I was used to Jehovah's witnesses coming up to my front door at home, but not in the church. But they wanted to come in and they wanted to talk. I was like, all right. So I went to the door and I greeted them and I, and I talked to them about it. And they were interested in coming in and being able to do a class in our church teaching our people. And, you know, I'm sure they've had plenty of conversations. So they probably this wasn't all new to them. But I was like, I, I don't think you understand that we have these differences. You're not just another denomination, Ox Christianity. And I just talked to them briefly about that. But trying to get them to understand that because what had happened was the reason they were there is because another church had actually let them come in and was letting them teach and they were an evangelical bible believing church and that was kind of shocking but see they were very nice people they're very sweet very kind and so what happens sometimes with us is that in this for the sake of unity sometimes we will sacrifice truth we'll be willing to say that's okay come on in I know we don't believe the same but wait a minute They're actually doubting. They're actually proclaiming that Jesus isn't who he said he was. And so there can't be unity at the sacrifice of truth. There is a body of writings that we are to be united around as believers. And that is God's word. Genuine unity can't gloss over doctrine. We can't dismiss it. And it matters that we hold the Bible as our authority for what we believe and how we live. That's essential to us. But I think... More so today, what our problem is, probably isn't so much the Jehovah's Witnesses and what they were trying to do. It's probably more of being able to pick and choose what I believe in scripture. That's probably more of our cultural struggle today. One author I came across this week, she said this, for others, it's a belief in biblical norms regarding sexuality and gender, or the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Whatever it may be, Once a person makes their own thoughts, feelings, and opinions the authoritative source for truth, their spirituality will reflect what they prefer rather than what's true. And the farther a Christian walks down this path, the farther they get from a genuine relationship with God. Tim Keller aptly notes in his book Reason for God saying this, what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility and crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a Stepford God, a God essentially of your own making, and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. You see, unity of God's people will always include unity around the scriptures. Jesus himself is the Word? If, you read, if you're familiar with the first chapter of this book we're reading, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is that Word. And also Jesus said in this same chapter in verse 17, he referred to his Word as truth. Jesus said in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And so Jesus presupposes the truth of God's Word. Now, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions, right? It doesn't mean we don't look at Word and go, huh, this is hard and difficult to understand. How do I understand this? It isn't like I'm saying, no, no, keep quiet. Don't ask questions. Shh, quiet. No, not at all. Ask your questions. God wants your questions. God can handle it. But yet those questions come from a point at which we understand that this is God's Word. Comes from a position that I can't understand this, but I'm trying to understand it. Doesn't necessarily make sense to me. Help me understand it. And raising your hand and asking the tough questions. Ask away. God wants us to ask those questions. We're here to get understanding and to learn more about Him. And He's not afraid. He's not afraid of our questions. But yet, there will be a unified submission to the fact that this is God's revelation and that it is the authority. For you and for me. And that settles it. But not only are we to be united around the word, but also this unity doesn't mean there aren't differences. Look at that second point there. Unity within diversity. There is a unity within diversity. Look at verse 21. Are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. I'll just stop there. Just as you found us. You know, I, I like... I think the term university is probably a good term, a good mash, probably a good word mash for unity and diversity, I would say. Even though etymologically, that's not true. If you look in your dictionary, that's not how the two words came together, or that's not how we get the word university. But I like it, personally, because I think on one level, it explains this whole unity and diversity, right? You go to a university, it's one university, school of higher education, right? But within that, you have the You have the School of Arts, School of Sciences, and within that, right, you have different majors. But yet you have this unity, and that it's a school, but yet you have the diversity that is within it. There is a unity, but not a uniformity. And so we are distinguishable, but yet we are one, just as God is distinguishable, and yet one. What do I mean by this? Well, our unity is analogous to the unity that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christianity, historic Orthodox Christianity, what the Bible teaches is that there is one God and three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Father is not the Son, Son's not the Holy Spirit, and how all that goes back and forth. One God, three persons. That is historically... But yet, within that unity, there is a diversity. One God, three persons. In fact, in our passage, the Father is in the Son so much that Scripture speaks of the Father doing the Son's work. In John 14.10, we read, The Father who dwells in me does his works. Yet, the Son is also in the Father. He's not only dependent upon him, not only obedient to him, but he's also the Father's agent in creation. If we went back to John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, you would see this. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Preservation. In John 6, 37 through 40, we read, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So I say all that to say that the Father and Son, they are distinguishable. If you know John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. But the Word was God. It's one. He was with, distinguishable, but yet one. He is God. So it is with us. We are distinguishable, right? We're not exactly the same. We all have gifts and talents and abilities, we all have likes, dislikes. All kinds of things, but yet we are to be one, one in purpose, one in love, one in actions, and one in reverent submission to God's word, that this is His word. We are in the Father and in the Son. That's what Jesus points out in verse 21. And we're so identified with Him and dependent upon Him for fruit and for, for yeah, for fruitfulness. This is something that we talked about in John 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That we are dependent completely upon him. This is this unity that exists, but it's not without a diversity. This oneness that we have is more like an organic unity. The same way you and I are put together in our bodies. Think about that for a moment. We have many organs in our bodies. This organic body for one purpose. That's the picture that's given to us here. This is something Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, verses four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Every genuine believer belongs to the body of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. We have different gifts and abilities and talents. And those are things to be celebrated. We need one another. Some of us are arms. Some of us are legs. Some of us are hands. But we are all valued, all needed, and all necessary because the work of the church, it's, it's body work. It's body work. I remember, or I should say, I, I came across this um, article about intervarsity Christian Fellowship, every three years, they host this conference called Urbana. Some of you might be familiar with it. Maybe even some of you have attended it. But this Urbana conference basically brings together thousands of students, around 15,000 students from around the world uh, to encourage them toward world evangelization. I just totally slurred that word and killed it. But you know what I mean. Um, and in this time, and they do this every three years, and in 2009, uh, something interesting happened. I just want to read it for you. After the main session each evening, students would leave the larger conference auditorium to meet in smaller groups for prayer and reflection. In one of the banquet halls, there was a small group comprised of Chinese students, another group of Taiwanese students, and another group of students from Hong Kong. Large dividers stood between the three. These walls were important because historically, these three peoples have harbored bitterness and animosity toward one another. They felt it was best to pray and worship each with their own people. But as the Chinese students were praying one night, they told their leader they wanted to invite the other countries to join them. When the Taiwanese students received the invitation, they prayed and sang a little while, and then they opened up the wall divider. It wasn't too much longer before the students from Hong Kong pulled back their divider and some 80 students mingled together. In Christ, we are all one family, said one leader. And Christ breaks down political boundaries. In Christ, we have the desire to make the first steps to connect. The Taiwanese students asked the students from China and Hong Kong to lead them in worship. The next night, they invited the Korean and Japanese groups to join them, nations which also had experienced fierce animosity. The leader told them, We are living out what we have learned this week in John. This is... God with us. One girl from China said it was a really moving time. This kind of thing would not happen without Jesus. What a beautiful picture. Unity within diversity, not to the detriment of diversity, but recognizing diversity and focused on Christ. Like ultimately, that is what unites us and brings us together that we are in Christ. It isn't our socioeconomic, it isn't our culture, but it's the fact that we are in Christ. That's what unites us. That's why you can sit across the table from someone with a totally different background than you, whether it's a church background or an upbringing, someone totally different than you, and yet you're finding connection. You're finding this connection because you're brothers and sisters in Christ, Not only is there unity upon the word, not only is there unity within diversity, but lastly, there is a unity that is maturing. And this is interesting, what Jesus points out. Look, look with me at verse twenty-one or 23. Verse 23 is the key here. Notice what he says, become perfectly one. And this is something that could just bypass us, right? As you read a passage like this, and Paul's or I'm sorry, as John is saying this language, this, you know, you're catching on to the whole oneness, but this can kind of just pass us by. Where he says, become perfectly one. In other words, Jesus is saying that unity takes maturing. That you become a, you'll become united more and more. This unity is a maturing unity. But what does this look like? Well, Jesus paints us a picture of what it looks like. It is unity and purpose and unity in love. Look at this, unity and purpose. Look at verses 21, 23, and 25. And notice the ends of each of those verses. In verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. And then verse 25, and these know that you have sent me. The unity of the disciples would be a unity that is maturing in purpose. A group of people working purpose, 21, 23, and 25 point that out to us, convincing many in the world that Christ is the one sent from the Father to save us from our sins. You see, there is a united purpose, a purpose that you and I are to be growing in. Why are we all together? It's to make Christ known. That's our purpose. And it's easy, isn't it? So many times that we don't live in isolation from the world, that we are in the world, not of the world, but we are to make him known. But so many times, right? You guys have probably been in churches where they've lost their way. And it's hard in church to not lose your way when you're trying to do so many different things, so many different things that are good. And you want to see people come. You want to see people grow. You want to see people come to faith. You want to see people working together, but yet there's so many things that have to take place in order for that to get done, right? This is where we are right now. This is where we live right now. We're a church plant, right? How much does it take every Sunday to pull all this together? How many things are going on during the week as we're trying to build and trying to grow? And they're good things. They're not bad things. But then what can happen sometimes is those things become the things that you're fixed and focused on more than what's our purpose? Why are we here? Why do we exist? Why do we come together? We want to make Christ known. It's so easy to forget that sometimes, isn't it? It's so easy to let, oh, we've got this thing blowing up over here that we need to manage and work on. We got this thing that's not working we need to fix, and pretty soon you feel like you're doing that and you've taken your mind off the big picture, the big goal which is making Christ known. It's easy to get distracted. But how do we live a life like where we're not distracted? How do we live a life where we are on point, where we are on mission, we are on, we are on our purpose? What does that look like? How do we live like that? Well, I think it relates to kind of the second point about maturing in love. We will mature in our purpose as we mature in our Love. We will mature in our purpose as we mature in our love. Because to see and to understand the love that exists between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, to understand and to see that, as that comes into your heart, that overflows then into your life. What do I mean by this? It is a secure love. Look at verse 23. Look at the end of verse 23. Where Jesus says, and love them even as you loved me. Loved them even as you have loved me. This is a secure love. We need to get caught up in this kind of love. This is a secure, content, fulfilled love. This is a love that overflows to you. That you have. That exists between father and son. That's the kind of love you and I have. A love that said where Jesus said, I will go to the cross and die so you can have life. That said to the Father, Father, I will do your will. Where the Father in love sent the Son so that you could have life. That kind of love. That's what we have. A secure love. But not only is it a secure love. It is a love that then transforms us. It is a transforming love. Love. In verse 26, he says, Jesus says, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The first part of that verse, Jesus is saying, I am going to make, I've made known to them your name and I'm going to continue to make it known. I'm going to continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, this is a love that transforms us. You see, we are loved. We're the objects of God's love. Verse 23 makes that clear. But we will be so transformed as we understand the love that exists between Father and Son and that you and I have that and that's the love with which we have been loved. The love with which we learn to love is nothing less than the love that exists between Father and Son. The love with which we learn to love is nothing less than the love that exists between father and son. That is powerful, just take that in for a moment. That kind of love that exists between them is overflowed to you. And that makes a difference, should make a difference in your heart and life, makes a difference in our unity. As we mature more in our understanding of this love, it'll overflow in stronger unity of love, of one another and also in our purpose, being on mission to make him known. In his book, The Pursuit of God, the author A.W. Tozer, he wrote the following. He said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos are all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshipers together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be, were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What is he saying? Picture a triangle. Make, you know, in your head, you have a triangle. Imagine you're the bottom left corner, and your brother and sister in Christ is the bottom right corner. What happens as you look up to the point that is God? The more you look to there, what happens? Those two points are coming together, are they not? As they travel? That's a beautiful picture. That's the kind of picture that he's trying to paint for us. Is that when you look to him, you actually come closer together. And so many times when we're at one another, it's because we're not looking to him. We're not seeing his priorities. We're not seeing his purpose. We're not seeing his love. And so it's easy for us to get on one another, to get at one another, to disagree, to fight, to bicker, to argue, to not love or appreciate one another as we should because we're not looking to him. It's easy to get sidetracked. Satan loves it. (laughs) He loves it. He loves getting us so sidetracked where we're just at each other. But yet, as we look to him together, it helps us work through those differences, helps us appreciate one another, and it helps us be unified as we seek to live for him together as God's people. Pray with me. Father, we come before you and you... Have laid out for us in your word an incredible example of the love that exists between you and your son, and how that love overflowed to us, and how we are loved this way incredibly. Father, I pray that you would just help us to look to you, to understand more and more what it means to be united. To be united upon your word. To celebrate and, and enjoy and relish that diversity that exists within this unity. And also to be maturing in it, both in purpose and in love. You have brought us together to make your son known. Help us to make him known and help us to live in such a way in this world. To live with such love before a watching world but they will see you. They will say that this is only because of Jesus. Let this mark us. Let this kind of love mark us as your people. Help us, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.